Warning, this show contains adult themes and language, including Dunning-Kruger's apple juice flavored dick. Disevidentia is an inability to reliably process evidence, and this is a podcast all about it. This episode was released on March 28th, 2022, and we are discussing disevidentia because it is clear millions of victims of the American education system are suffering from it. I am Mako. And I am Squeaky. We discuss logic and evidence, because if we didn't, we'd be idolizing Putin instead of making butt plugs out of his head. You can support us by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash If you spent all your money supporting the people of Ukraine, you can still like, subscribe, and leave a review to help us out. If you have a paper you have written or a small business to plug, let us know. Today we are going to discuss several ways to vet sources and demand evidence. If you have a paper you have written or a small business to plug, let us know. Let us know. Let it snow, let it snow. I, I was thinking, like, cold leaves. But from last episode, we uh didn't get any corrections from the community, which is nice. Well, mixed blessings, I'd say. Yeah, I'd rather get a lot of people trying to hit us with corrections that weren't real. So there's a lot of ways to get in touch with us. Definitely do that to let us know if you find anything wrong with these episodes, because for the first three people who find things wrong with our episodes, we're giving them disevidential flash drives. Yep. So if you want to get in touch with us, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash We have a subreddit, r slash You can tweet at us at disevidential. We have a Discord and YouTube channel. Links to both are in the show notes. You can email us contact at disevidentia.com. We do not have a Facebook, though, because fuck Mark Zuckerberg. Now, updates on the raffle, because we're doing a giveaway to try to promote the show. We mentioned last week that we might be doing something where I 3D print stuff to give it to people, and I made it work. If you're in the Discord, you've seen it already, but I've successfully created Vladimir Putin butt plugs. And you can check it out on Twitter, or if you're watching our video on YouTube, you can take a look at the screen now to see the Putin butt plug. Yep, it is regrettably true. Squeaky has done this. There are some minor questions about the design. Particularly, you gotta be very mindful of the nose. Watch out for the nose. It's catching. Very. <laughs> Putin can stick his whole head up his ass. We can stick a one-sixth scale model up ours. Can we? Uh, probably not. And actually, these are printed out of PLA, so don't, don't do that. This wouldn't be butthole safe. But you can print ones that are butthole safe, right? Conceivably, but the ones I'll be giving out are showpieces. If you want them covered in shit, do that outside of your anus. Okay, that's a good, valuable disclaimer. <laughs> but yeah, I'll make sure that everybody who wins a flash drive also gets one of these. And to go along with that, the secret code for this episode is hashtag Putin butt plug. All one word, all caps. So that's uh, number sign. <laughs> I'm old. Number sign. <laughs> uh, number sign P-U-T-I-N-B-U-T-T-P-L-U-G. Also acceptable other than number sign, pound, or tic-tac-toe board. Octothorpe. No. <laughs> oh, wait. It didn't take the hashtag. So the secret code for this episode is just going to be Putin butt plug, all uppercase, no spaces. You were telling me about a joke that I might enjoy. Partial joke, partial legit criticism, but a... Non-native English speaker, but still speaks fluent English, just not natively. They were complaining about some of the quirkier rules of the language, like how some letters are silent. So they were commenting, like, it gets really, really weird that, like, the silent K exists. Like, like in knowledge? 
Yeah, knowledge is one. They're like, yeah, knee has a single silent K. Uh, Knock has two silent Ks. Or Kniffy. Yeah. And Republican has three silent Ks. Wow. (laughs) I legit didn't see it coming. Wow. Okay. That's good. (laughs) We're expanding our meta section because some people may have noticed this episode came in a little bit late. Yeah, that's, I think, the first time we've had such a significant delay. I think last time we delayed maybe 15 episodes ago, we delayed it by one week. But... Yeah, it's not common. Yeah, it's very, it's rare. And last month we had three episodes. Okay. Oh, whatever. We had a pipe burst and dumped water all over our computers. We had a file server that was moist. It survived. Yeah. Not even the first time. That's the second time that server's gotten wet and survived. Yeah, but this time we had to go through and uh, like cut pipe and braze pipe and it was, it was ridiculous. There's a lot of skills that software developers shouldn't be deploying there. Both pipe and spigot since the break was on the spigot itself. Yeah, you should never trust a software developer with a, a a blowtorch. Yeah, well, it's fine. I made sure that there was a fire extinguisher nearby. You did. Thank you for that. <laughs> anyway, whatever day we said that we were releasing this, it's actually coming out April 4th. So ignore the first bit in the intro. Sorry for the delay. Couldn't be helped in this case. And we hope you like this episode anyway. We've used the extra time to make sure that we get the editing down. Okay. We've arrived at the river. Why are we at the river? I came here to learn about fishing. Okay, as long as you are far away from my computer. I see you brought some fishing poles. Oh, I guess we're good. Don't get ahead of yourself. What do you mean? (gasps) What are you getting? Whoa, whoa, hold on. Whose computer is that? My door was locked. (gasps) Yeah, it was, but I climbed in through the window. Why did you just throw my computer into the river? Uh, to learn about phishing scams. That isn't how this works. That isn't how anything works. Those are just emails to trick you out of your money. Oh, I didn't know. Uh, Well, at least I have backups. Hmm, not for long. For fuck's sake, Squeaky. At least I can order a new one from ABK Customs. I wouldn't take that from you. You'll find a way. Their experts will help me design a custom gaming computer. And you can get 10% off if you use code EVIDENCE. I am going to abkcustoms.com to order a new computer now. abkkustomz.com for your new gaming computer. Now, let's learn about fishing. Here, use this fishing pole to get your backups out of the Missouri. He is scowling so hard. (laughs) So the main topic of the episode, we have just kind of compiled a bunch of sources. We wanted to discuss... We always compile a bunch of sources. We went through a bunch of our previous episodes to try to compile some of the ways we've discussed about not getting tricked. And unfortunately, there's no good algorithm for truth, so we just kind of have to take a sort of scattershot approach. Yeah. Any methodical way to not be tricked can be defeated. Yeah, there's always going to be some case that defeats a particular technique. That's always going to be the case. You just got to constantly be vigilant. You got to understand the nature of the claims being made and the common ways that those claims fall apart. Yeah, absolutely. And I figured we might try to structure, try to explain some of this, but we kind of can't. So we're going to be all over the place. Yeah. The first distinction I thought I'd bring up would be the difference between practical and philosophical ways of getting at truth, right? Like rational arguments, the whole notion of logically deducing things out or running really rigorous experiments. There is a whole branch of philosophy dedicated to how you get at truth. Right, and I wanted some good source for this, so I linked to the standard standard 
So I linked to the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, and they talk about rational arguments and this whole branch of philosophy about just getting at truth. But a lot of that isn't applicable in everyday life. There's no, no Greek philosopher you can read to tell you if you should trust your ex when it's Friday night and you're both drunk and they want to come over for a booty call, whether or not that's a good idea. There's just no, right, you need practical judgment. Yeah. And then a lot of the practical ways to get at truth, they're readily dismissible by academics where it's like, well, that's, that's not a rigorous way to understand something or correlation isn't causation. Well, you know what? Enough correlation. After you get crotch rot for your third time from that booty call from your ex, you don't know you're going to get herpes, or you don't know you're going to get something again, but... Yeah, there's a certain amount of times that you can ask, but are we sure that's actually prudent? And there's a higher number where that's appropriate, and then an even higher number where it's like, okay, well, do we really need to keep on asking this? <laughs> I pushed the light... <laughs> Sorry, there's an XKCD for that. Yeah. I pushed the button and I got struck by lightning. But will it happen again? <laughs> Normal person. I guess I shouldn't do that. Scientist. Does it do that every time? God damn it. Oh my god, I can't find it. Uh, just Google XKCD scientist versus normal person. Boom. Perfect. I wonder what I wonder if it happens every time. Okay. So before getting sidetracked by XKCD. There's always a relevant XKCD. I started going through our arch <laughs> Yeah, there always is a relevant XKCD. <laughs> I started going through our archives and got most of the way through it, just going over our show notes and uh, just all the different sources we cited uh, on our webpage and trying to find where we talked about ways to not be tricked and fooled into things. Because like some of our old episodes, the audio quality sucks. We don't want people going back and listening to like the first five of them. <laughs> the first three were really bad. Sure. But the quality kept getting better until about 12. And then we got to like this level of quality and kind of stuck there. I don't know. But in the very first episode, we talked about a really simple, really dumb, practical way of getting at truth. And I called it the three-source method, just because you know, you're checking three sources. I don't have a better name for it. Mm -hmm. I thought of calling it the three-source method when I was trying to calm someone down during the Ebola scare about five years back. One group of scientists put out an open letter that said that the, pan that the Ebola situation could turn into a worldwide pandemic if precautions weren't taken. And the person I was talking to had only checked one source... And that source was being sensationalist and was stale. So right there on our phones, I asked that we check three different sources that went over three different perspectives on it. And it turns out that after that letter, the governments of the world all did react because Ebola is fucking horrifying. Like melts your face and shit. Yeah, kind of. I mean, you know, we don't need to discuss what Ebola does to your face. No, we really don't. Yeah, it was bad. But after that, this person saw that, oh, the governments of the world really did clamp down on it. There is more testing. They're quarantining places. It's not going to be that bad, hopefully. Man, I'm glad COVID turned into the pandemic, not Ebola. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ebola is so much more lethal and faster acting. It just, as long as we're not sleeping, yeah, yeah, it's not going to be as bad. Did you say sleeping? Sleeping. Sleeping. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I agree with you. I recommend checking multiple sources whenever you are planning on using information for your everyday life. Yeah. Like anytime you can get away with it. Like we've early on, we did try to do exactly that for any of the claims that we made. And we did run into some problems with that. Well, we were touching on things lightly to get the to, to be able to draw examples or to draw lessons from things. We're not making policy. We're not making like life decisions on things, except when we do, like when we propose people wear masks for covid but we presented way more than three sources for that sure um well okay one of the problems that we did run into though was for example if since a lot of news comes through 
like neutral aggregators like Reuters or AP News. Then you have a bunch of other news publications that are picking it up. Sure, you can look at three different places that are reporting on what AP reported on, but ultimately there's one source, the AP. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you then have to ask, how important is it that I know this thing accurately? And if it won't impact your life immediately, then maybe you'll pull back and and consider the the context of it. Like if people had backed off of Q, right? How many people were taking the scantest bits of evidence and making major life choices over it? Too many. There might still be people waiting in Dallas, and there were people who lost family members over believing that JFK was coming back from the dead and running to be president alongside Donald Trump. Yep. I'm sure the date in which Biden's presidency is going to be overturned and Trump is going to be re-inaugurated has been pushed back yet again. Well, if we're talking about checking multiple sources, maybe we should just discuss what makes a good source. Because we have these debates in the Disevidentia Discord all the time. And they're productive. Yeah, so a good source. Uh, A source can be good a few different ways, at least as far as I'm concerned. Uh, One... Probably the most common way, actually, I'd say, is through reputation. If a certain publication has, and and like this is kind of like an an after the fact benefit, because like you have to do other correct things in order to get to the point where you have a reputation in the first place. But a lot of people operate off of reputation from certain publications. If you have a good reputation, well, you probably earned it somehow, and that can make it more trustworthy. There's caveats to this, of course, like misinformation sources can also be reputable within misinformation circles, unfortunately. So building on that, like the New York Times is probably the go-to example of a source that has built up a really strong reputation. Yeah. And then on the flip side, a misinformation source that just won't go away is Alex Jones. Yeah, but you have to do a lot of correct things like assuming you actually are a a good publication it's not printing misinformation you have to do a lot of correct things in order to get there in the first place and yeah misinformation sources can get there as well so it's not a foolproof strategy but it does allow you to filter out a lot of low effort misinformation sources that are abundant on this time on this notion of not building reputation from the perspective of a publisher but vetting reputation from the perspective of a listener yes here's something silly i did so i could learn more about ukraine I like to just listen to videos in the background, listen to podcasts, right? I didn't know of any good podcasts or YouTube channels about war. So I started searching around and I found a bunch of bullshit, but I found two that maybe I don't agree with all of their views, but there's a a YouTube channel, Task and Purpose, and another one, Binkov's Battlegrounds, where I started listening to their current updates and they seemed, what they said sounded plausible, but then I went back in time and went to a couple years ago and saw what they both had to say about a possible invasion of Ukraine. And they both were talking about weapons, tactics, greater strategic things, and they both largely predicted what would happen if Russia invaded Ukraine. And they were pretty detailed about it, too. One of them predicted that there were certain geological features that would get in the way of the Russian invasion, and they would have to make certain strategic decisions with that in mind, but they didn't account for being able to stage in belarus yeah they had three or four different war scenarios they described where the russians could do an uh amphibious landing coming up from crimea where they would march across the border going east how how quickly they would take over the farmland how if they came down from the north how they'd have to march across chernobyl but they'd all be stopped by the Dnieper river primarily and in this scenario specifically they said hey yeah there's no interference from the rest of the world well marching your troops in from an allied country's interference so they precluded that yeah yeah let me go dig that video up right now sure there we go there's several of them 
Yeah, there's one from 2019 called Could the U.S. Stop a Military Invasion of the Ukraine from Russia? And it describes how difficult it would be to airlift troops and stuff if nobody else was interfering. And yeah, I'll link to that and another one they posted. There you go. January 26th about what would happen if Russia invaded. So either these guys have inside information or I, fuck it. It's a sock puppet, dude. He does not have inside information. No, it's coincidental timing. That is a creepy looking thing. I'm going to get I'm going to ask the video guy to put Putin's face right here because this is creepy as fucking stupid looking. OK, I'll also see if I can put some cards in there for uh, this. So I haven't looked at these sources super closely. They might be terrible. You'd, I'd hope you'd let me know if that were the case. I. Yes, I mean, I probably would. But from the things that you have described to me about these sources, it does sound like the information that they offer is both nuanced and self-consistent, doesn't contradict any of the other information that's out there, or that is it itself is presenting. Yeah, that sounds like an accurate description. To the best of my knowledge, it doesn't contradict anything else that experts have said, and... I liked that these sources have predictive power. Yeah. These two videos that I'm going to link happened before the February 24th invasion day. And they said, here's a plausible way the invasion could happen. And, and these explanations don't necessarily require additional explanations. It's not like a layer after layer after layer after layer. They're like, well, no, here's the information. There it is. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And yeah, I agree. But every topic has more layers. Of course. But the layers aren't just the source said this, the source said this. It's like the Russians will be stopped by this river because tanks don't float on water. And the new Russian tank can supposedly cross the river, but there's only 20 of the new Russian tank. And here's the reasons they're having trouble making more tanks than we talk about. Oral, Vagod, Vazat, whatever, the name of that Russian arms company and why they can't make new tanks because they're out of material and shit. So I suppose yeah. one clarifying thing about what I was saying is that the details don't demand additional layers of explanation because they're not making sensationalist claims. Yeah, I think a good differentiation for what you're saying is separating layer of explanation from a layer of obfuscation. Yeah. If the layer in the middle is just bullshit, it can be peeled away without hurting the argument at all. Right, like, if I'm just appealing to a source that isn't adding anything, I could appeal to an experiment. Right, like, I could say, Einstein says that gravity works because space-time bends, or I could just say, here's the math that shows it, and here's the experiment that validates it, and go straight to an experiment Einstein designed. Is that, that's too, it's too obtuse. A little bit. Could, I could talk about a scientist and an experiment the scientist proposed, or I could just go straight to their experiment. We could discuss the results. Yeah. Unless the scientist is providing some summary or some clarification, it's... An abstract. Yeah. Yeah. Something that might clarify versus what you get in QAnon where it's like, well, look at this Q drop or, or Flat Earth. Layered bullshit, man. There's so much of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, even Flat Earth, there, there's layers there. Because, like, on the surface of it, yeah, sure, they're trying to say that we're just all on a disc. And apparently dinosaurs went extinct because they were jettisoned when the disc was struck by a meteor and then spun a whole bunch. No, I made that up. That's not actually something they claim. Yeah. Uh, but... <laughs> But, like, then they have to explain it. Like, okay, well, there's all this other information about Earth not being flat. How do you reconcile that? Okay, well, NASA lies. Okay, why does NASA lie? Well, because they are being funded to do so. There is value in people believing that the Earth is round because they've been lying about this for 400 years. Like, what value? Oh, well, they use chemtrails to in order to influence people into believing all this stuff. Like, th these are the layers. Like, it doesn't actually provide an explanation beyond the immediate context. It demands further explanation. And that is just the obfuscation that you referenced. Yeah, and it's hard to pin down what obfuscation is because by its nature, it is, well, obfuscating. Yes. Sometimes it's really 
easy to just say this extra bullshit they're rubbing on it's bad. But like for uh, the Flat Earth, right? We actually both just recently watched this documentary uh, behind uh, behind the curve. Behind the curve. So yeah, we just watched a documentary. And in that, the Flat Earthers, one of the first things the documentary brought up was an experiment the Flat Earthers ran. The idea is if you have a really precise gyroscope, you know, something that holds its own rotational inertia and it doesn't rotate with the Earth. A laser gyroscope, I think is what they said it was, yeah. Yeah, they used a laser gyroscope. In theory, you could use any of sufficient Mm -hmm. precision, but they bought a $20,000 laser gyroscope. And they said that if the Earth is rotating, this tool will show a 15 degree rotation every hour because an hour is 1 24th. Of, of a day and that's 115 degrees is 124th of a circle and then they did and the flat earthers concealed that and hid that information like well clearly our experiment was, was wrong yeah they wanted to refine their experiment they wanted to try to shield it from the heaven energy i think yeah they presumed that because the earth was flat and that heaven was a dome that the energy from heaven must be impacting this so they wrapped it in a couple different uh materials to try to hide that or to try to shield the gyroscope from heavenly energies and that failed too yeah so in this case there's an obvious and clear layer of obfuscation like you were talking about earlier where their layer of obfuscation is them just not wanting to be honest and saying yeah the most uh, plausible explanation is the earth is rotating or the surface the gyroscope is on is rotating slowly every 24 hours it'll rotate once they really didn't like hearing that other other times it's less clear like if someone's selling you a medical good and they claim it'll cure everything you know it's bullshit right there but they might say you know this uh, changes the free radicals in your body and free radicals might be a real thing but does it impact the thing they're trying to tell you it'll fix yeah that's really hard to point at like how do you prove that a certain behavior is going to be the result of the product that you're selling yeah well for beating obfuscation demanding from a source how they got to their conclusion yeah is usually pretty ideal yes if it's a scientist they can just point in an experiment or a study Mm -hmm. and be like here's here is how you can duplicate this on your own but not everything can be done that way not everything is science and sometimes it's impractical to run an experiment on your own right like we when we were watching that documentary we were like well how could we test it ourselves and we started talking about Foucault's pendulum yeah it's this big ass pendulum that's just you know 60 70 feet tall anybody can build one in theory but you need a big ass weight a 70 foot tower and uh 70 foot rope and you start the pendulum up and over the course of an hour instead of just going back and forth the pendulum rotates 15 degrees it's just what the gyroscope thing is and it happens because of the uh rotation of the earth that is really impractical to do if you live in a one-bedroom studio apartment yeah that's difficult the link to Foucault's pendulum now <sighs> god damn it trying to ad hoc this what other things are good for uh checking if sources are good or bad or not like this documentary mm-hmm. when we watched it it's called behind the curve we'll make sure to link to the uh, trailer and their webpage. but uh how, we'd both decided that this was a good source right i had no idea what i knew that the topic was pertaining to flat earth but i didn't even know the claims that the, the documentary was trying to make what side of it they were on what the quality of the information was. i didn't know any of that neither did i until after we watched it but by the end we were both convinced right well Okay, so the production crew for the documentary didn't really make much in the way of actual claims. Most of it was just them showcasing people from Flat Earth, and then a few things mixed in where they were clearly questioning Flat Earth, but sometimes in subtle ways, like the zoom in on the green button. Oh my god, that scene was amazing. Mark Sargent, a notable Flat Earther, and some other Flat Earther, I forget her name. Uh, Patricia Steer? That sounds right. Yeah. But they're two Flat Earthers, and they're both ridiculously wrong. But they went to this 
space museum where they had spaceships you could sit in and touch things and exhibits uh, describing the planets and stuff. And there was one where he sat down in it and he started like punching a screen and just hitting it super hard. And we're like, oh, and you can see the, the color change when you when you touch those old LCD screens. Mm-hmm. Right? Clearly wasn't supposed to be touching it, but this guy's only screen is apparently his touchscreen phone or something. And he's complaining about how the thing wouldn't start. And he just gets up and walks away from the machine and the camera Claiming. pans over to the green start button well, he, on the chair. Both of them were talking about how it was broken and they were trying to say yeah well if they have all of their this broken equipment where they're trying to spread these lies then i don't think we're in any danger and that's when the cameraman panned over to the actual start button next to the armrest and zoomed in on it so okay anyway slight tangent there but that's a a small example of like how they were kind of defiant to the flat earthers but it's all that caliber of stuff and it's not even that many of them you're missing what a documentary can tell you through this yes right there might have been a dozen cogent points that the flat earthers made that they just omitted and if you're a film crew following people around for presumably months you're gonna see people make little foibles like that yes right that demonstrates that they're not very intelligent people but it doesn't demonstrate that flat earth is wrong we have to get to flat earth being wrong by examining the evidence for flat earth but the character evidence the missing the button that was on the obvious armrest and then blaming their enemies well yeah if you're trying to establish some kind of uh, psychological profile or something that demonstrates that well if i'm I'm going to be blunt about it demonstrates dunning kruger (laughs) then yeah you can focus on individual aspects of the the people that are the recognized as the i guess the leaders of flat earth for lack of a better term yeah they're reasonable de facto leaders mark Sargent is noteworthy in the flat earth community for kind of breaking it out of the the pure fringe and bringing it to be more mainstream because he put a friendly face on it and he is a very friendly somewhat charismatic person But yeah, he is extremely suffering from the Dunning-Kruger effect. He thinks he knows a lot and doesn't know much of anything. He doesn't have the ability to critically think. Yeah. Well, the the camera crew even caught him in several rhetorical traps. Yes. The, like really early on in the documentary, there was another guy, I forget his name, but yeah, he was trying to say like, oh yeah, you expect me to believe that we're like rotating or not rotating revolving around the sun which is then also revolving around the milky way which is also zooming through space and we don't feel any of it like i immediately think okay why did nobody teach this guy about inertia yeah yeah he just didn't understand and this is where it comes to to, you have to know something to learn more if you didn't under if you didn't understand inertia if you've never ridden in a car that seems plausible but right after that scene where you're talking about it they go straight to a scene with a physicist saying if you're in a car and you throw a ball up in the air where does the ball land if you just throw it a foot up above your hand it comes back down in your hand because it's traveling with you in the car and that's inertia that's a known thing so if your car was going a million miles an hour you throw the ball up the ball's going a million miles an hour plus a little bit up and it's going to come right back down in your hand yeah my first thought when i was thinking about of inertia examples is actually yeah maybe this is this is almost certainly less relatable but getting up in the cabin of an airplane while it's in transit yeah that makes sense you can stand up and walk around even though that thing is flying you know, 500 miles an hour or whatever yeah and you really won't feel that because you're really only going to feel an acceleration or deceleration like a change in velocity but you're not going to feel it when it's uh straight and steady so you need to have a basic grasp of some outside knowledge in order to gain more knowledge it has to be something that you can assemble from what you have in the new data 
data presented. And a lot of people making claims are going to try to jump outside that and go straight to other things. Like, let me take a take a left turn here and give you something else you can chew on. Okay. Zechariah Sitchin. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. He claims, and this is something most of us don't have context for, but he claims to be able to decipher ancient Sumerian, and you went off on him in several episodes. Yes. But first in episode two for a deep space deep dive, and then I believe for episode 22, Anunnaki and Ancient Aliens? No, it was episode 21. So I, I briefly touched on Sitchin in the, the first time just covering his name and the claims that he's made, but I did go into it a little bit more details for the Anunnaki episode. Episode 21. 21. Yep. Episode 21, Anunnaki and Ancient Aliens. Yeah. And I went into a little more detail there. He claims to have a, a belief, if I remember right, he claims to have a degree in Sumerian translations, just an understanding of the Sumerian language, a degree that nobody seems to be able to verify even exists. And... His translations are radically different from any other expert in the field whose degrees we can verify exist. So he's this one outlier and his knowledge and background is not something that can be verified. So what you're talking about is verifying from outside sources. And it's not even you don't have to know ancient Sumerian to verify some of this person's claims. Yeah. What if instead Sitchin claimed that he learned that he learned how to decode ancient Sumerian some other way? Or what if he said that he had just accessed all the tablets and decoded it from scratch. How would you arrive at that? Well, even if he had some legitimate means of decoding, which is dubious on the face of it, given what we do know, but okay, fine. Let's presume that he does have some legitimate means of decoding. If his results are still different from everybody else, it begs the question, why? What are the mistakes being made by the other people? Uh, the, yeah. What mistakes are being made by the other experts that can just explain the discrepancy in the translations? Yeah, there's a couple thousand experts on ancient Sumerian, mm -hmm. and they all have an agreement. And what you're saying is, is they all have to be making either the same mistake or a similar family of mistakes that get them to produce the wrong translations. And somehow Sitchin is claiming he's not making that mistake. Yeah, which it's possible. Sometimes a bunch of experts do make mistakes or we find some missing detail that changes the context of previous information. That does happen. But we still need to understand what the nature of that mistake is. This is a, a fallacy I see a lot of people falling into, particularly in the Q space. Where there is uh, a trope, there is a, a pattern where first they laugh at you, then they fight you, then they then they lose to you, or then, then what you're saying has been normalized. And they always like to go to like Galileo or somebody like that who fought some rigorous dogma that existed before them because Galileo was very pro-gravity, pro-heliocentrism, pro-mechanistic you know, universe, and he was fighting against the Catholic Church who wasn't big on what he was saying. Some of the people in it approved, but a lot of them were like, no, that really contradicts the biblical God. So he was kind of oppressed. He was on house arrest a lot of the time. And they try to make it sound like every new scientist is going to be a Galileo type figure coming out of coming out of some oppression and ultimately be successful. And that just isn't how the vast majority of new knowledge is gained. No. Yeah, almost always it's a tiny little advance on what we had before. And every once in a while we get a revolution, but it's, it's just not. Yeah. People it, making foregone conclusions that the what they believe is going to trigger a revolution i mean there's there's so many claims that people are believing this about like yeah look at how many revolutions have happened in history it, no not everything you believe is going to trigger a revolution yeah and even if 
You mean military revolutions. There's a whole podcast, revolutions. But there's a couple dozen of those and a couple different scientific revolutions, and they're just not that big. And even if you look at, like, the modern physics versus Newtonian physics, Newtonian physics still works. You could, using the math that Isaac Newton presented, fly a spaceship to Saturn and have to make minor course corrections. Right. Newton's math lets you put a ship from Earth in orbit around Saturn, much further in the, the error bars start moving you off. You'd, you'd miss Pluto, for example. So you need to account for Einstein's relativity, that time impacts gravity and shit, and quantum mechanics. Those are new things from the 20th century, but those also just account for everything Newton said. Everything Newton said works on a human scale, and the math is just easier than doing quantum mechanics or relativity, so we all still teach Newton's mechanics. It's not like all the evidence went away. Like, a lot of people say that this new idea is going to get rid of all the previous evidence. That's just not how that ever works. To use the term you used earlier... Newton had predictive power. Yeah. We could make experiments. We could guess what was going to happen based off of that math, and it would work out. And if we wanted to try to disprove Newton, we wouldn't do things like claim that the Earth doesn't orbit the sun. Because if you use Newton's math to predict where the Earth's going to be next, it works. You can just do that reliably. You can predict where the moon will be next. You want to predict where the moon's going to be in 100 years? You can do that. The math is that good. But it's not perfect. Like, you can't predict where Mercury will be. Mercury is close enough to the sun, close enough or deep enough in the sun's gravity well, that time is stretched a little bit. So if you try to use Newton's math for the orbit of Mercury, you get subtle errors. And for a long time, people looked for planets that weren't there. But when you account for the bending of time, all of a sudden relativity makes it work. So we devised a test by looking at Mercury with powerful telescopes. And when they first did this, we didn't have space telescopes. I believe this first happened in 1910, 1914, something like that. Mm -hmm. They waited for an eclipse and they measured where Mercury was. They had a prediction where if Newton was right, here's where it would be. If Einstein was right, here's where it would be. And a couple different scientists got measurements and determined, yep, that's it's where Einstein said it would be. Today, we have more tests because things like GPS wouldn't work without relativity. Because GPS is all about broadcasting time signals from satellites in space and getting it down to the millisecond and a a one nanosecond delay from Earth's gravity or delay or expansion from Earth's gravity could put a GPS measurement off by tens of feet or something. So it would be useless for navigating on a freeway. But it works. And we baked in Einstein's math into this system. So clearly Einstein's math works. But you don't need that level of detail to just get the satellite to orbit. Yeah, sorry, I'm just way off in the weeds. A little bit. I'll edit that down. Okay. Okay, I've got a source for the Einstein solar eclipse experiment. It was actually run in 1919, and the reason I was thinking was earlier than that was Einstein wrote a paper about it in 1915. So I'll go ahead and link to space.com for that. Okay. And this is one of those things, verifiability. Einstein made a prediction that other people could verify. Yeah, it was really hard to verify. They had to wait for an eclipse, and they needed powerful telescopes and some knowledge. But other people verified it, and if he would have been wrong, he would have been like a lot of other scientists that write papers where they make predictions that are wrong. It happens. Oh, hey, admitting mistakes. (laughs) That seems like a good segue. Yep. Hey, Mako, look at this. Jewelry? Don't I look pretty? There is no jewelry or item nor any concoction of mankind that is capable of making up for your face except for podcasting. Aww. But this is custom chainmail. Clock and chain does commissions. The chainmail looks great. Yes, I like the clockwork heart. You really shouldn't be modeling it, though. Or anything, really. Where did you get it? Clock and chain is a bunch of custom nerdy chainmail. Those D20 earrings would be a great gift for any gamer. But seriously, you should take them off. But I like them. You are bleeding. 
profusely. It builds character, but they offer clip-ons at no extra charge. Really? I know someone that might like that. Go to clockandchain.squarespace.com and use code EVIDENCE for free shipping in the U.S. C-L-O-C-K-N-C-H-A-I-N dot squarespace.com. Verifiability is very important, but sometimes even honest people do make mistakes. They overlook a particular detail or they skip a step or sometimes they make a claim based on another source that turns out to have made a mistake itself or is not as trustworthy as they originally thought. Just mistakes do happen. And yeah, it, it's unavoidable. We're people. We all make mistakes. Doesn't matter how many times you check it. Sometimes you still fuck up. Yeah. And the ability to address those mistakes. If it means issuing a retraction, then issue the retraction. If it means that you need to change your process, make some kind of systemic change in order to avoid the mistake from happening again. These are important things that build credibility among people. So we have two sources we pulled ahead of time on the topic of retractions. Give me a sec. Let me cut and paste the second one up here. If we had less structure here, that would actually help a lot. <laughs> we put a ton of structures into our notes. It's a big fucking outline. I'm just mutilating it to get things in the right order. Yeah. Okay. I'm linked to our 25th episode on misinformation and misinformation sources. And I've linked to a Rolling Stone article. Both of these deal with two different organizations and how they fucked up and then how they recovered from their fuck up. What a good organization should do, my example here is the Rolling Stone, in September 2021, uh, they bought a lie. They just totally believed it. Some doctor lied to them about having special knowledge about an ER in Oklahoma filling up with ivermectin users. They were all ODing, he claimed, and real people being sick were having to be turned away. Okay. Okay. Not true. Some of the ERs in the area were full of COVID patients at the time. But nobody, or to the best of my knowledge, nobody was actually turned away from any ER during the time period in question. And when Rolling Stone was contacted by some hospitals in the area that said, hey, that's not true, Rolling Stone double-checked and issued a correction within 24 hours. And I linked to this article because right at the top of the article, they say, hey, we screwed up. Here's what happened. And they have two bullet points where they edited the article twice to fix their shit. Compare that to Fox News. Yeah. Uh, well, I, so I don't have a full understanding of all the mistakes that Fox News has, because, I mean, I don't think any one human possibly can. Oh my god. But uh, I do understand that even when they do issue retractions, they tend to make the claims during peak viewing hours and issue retractions during the lowest viewing hours. So it's less about trying to fix it and more about trying to hide it yeah which is bullshit how i found the rolling stone article was from a tweet by the rolling stone where they link to the broken article the rolling stone wants you to know they've corrected their shit because mm -hmm. they want people to be well informed somebody who wants you to be well informed won't tell you a lie and then risk you missing the correction if they can at all help it yeah now it is just fundamentally harder to clean up a mess than it is to make one because entropy in this universe sucks but you can do better than fucking up in prime time and then issuing a correction at 2 a.m yeah another example of making a mistake and then just kind of trying to correct it but not making any systemic changes joe fucking rogan Ugh, disgusting. Okay, we're doing this again. Joe Rogan, I don't even know how many times anymore, has made shitty claims about COVID and then got caught about it, apologized, addressed the fact that, yeah, okay, I made a mistake, and then said some other shitty thing about COVID all over again. So as, as great as it is that he is addressing that he is making mistakes, as great as it is that he is 
issuing these apologies for some of his claims, the fact that it keeps happening over and over and over means that he doesn't actually care to prevent this mistake from happening. And in the case of Joe Rogan specifically, by the way, episode 25 for that one also, we discussed that first. Yep. Uh, this feels like a clip episode. Holy shit. I know we're trying to consolidate some of our ways of measuring sources, but fuck. With Joe Rogan specifically, he used to be a flat earther and he used to be an avid UFO conspiracy theorist. So Joe Rogan is actually better than where he was, and he's probably moved as far as he reasonably can without some major kick to his worldview. His worldview really needs a big change, and I wonder what's going to happen after this recent racist thing that he had. Have you heard about this? I have not. All right, let me see if I can pull this one up, because I'm not super informed on this one. It might change our opinions. Sure. And a few moments later, we'd listened to Joe Rogan's video. The link is in the show note, or available if you Google Joe Rogan racist apology. We have full context on Joe Rogan now. Let's keep going. <sighs> okay, sure. After I totally derailed you. I don't even remember what I was saying before. You we, we we were just... saying things about Joe Rogan doesn't care to inform people accurately because he keeps spouting misinformation. Well, so Joe Rogan keeps on making mistakes and he does not make systemic changes to what he does in order to prevent future mistakes. I think he categorizes mistakes differently. Maybe. I think a mistake is something that costs him a million dollars or more. So otherwise, why should he care? His show's going to keep growing slowly. When you're at 120 million listeners per episode, what do you care if somebody finds you or if an executive looks bad if it doesn't affect your payroll? Well, presumably long-term it would, but... I mean, sure, if you want to be sufficiently short-term thinking, then yeah, you can probably just hand wave that. Well, looking at his recent race thing, he's been racist for a long time and still is racist. Just maybe he doesn't say the N-word, but he had a big heartfelt apology. So he said all the correct words, but I personally do not believe he was being sincere. Eh, okay, okay. Even though I feel he was sincere, he limited it to the scope of don't say the N-word, N-word bad. But he still tolerates people like Alex Jones and blood libel, anti-Jewish, anti-Semitic conspiracies. So as soon as you add a layer of nuance, Joe Rogan is fucked in understanding it. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, don't say the N-word, N-word bad. Whereas racism is more about don't be harmful to people based on the circumstances of their birth. It's a distinction that he just is totally fucked on. He doesn't get it. Yeah. He's going to be systemically bad there and systemically bad on truth because he doesn't care to. Him being edgy and slightly racist attracts more listeners than it costs in the short term at least yes i guess i should link to that apology shouldn't i probably okay i've got the cnn business article since rogan's systemically wrong yeah i don't think he could explain how he comes to his conclusions in a way that is intellectually whole or intellectually complete no like it, a lot of probably be like well writers and researchers on my staff told me to say these things he doesn't have those <laughs> he has one guy who claims to fact check him live in the middle of the show and the guy googles stuff on occasion wow. and calls him out on the most egregious shit that is actually fucking worse than what i'm saying okay yeah yeah joe rogan seriously just talks off the top of his head and gets checked in the most minimal of ways yeah sorry that is so much worse right he can't explain his conclusions i was going to say that a lot of people start at what they think the right conclusion is then backfill in evidence to get there a better way to try to get to truth presuming that there's no cost in experimenting is to ask a question you know is this thing true and then try to verify it with sources and use sources to con to either contradict or affirm your your, your question. Yeah, what you're describing is confirmation bias. Yeah, exactly. An emotional investment in an answer. It is ideal to detach any emotional investment in a given answer if you want to reliably arrive at the correct answer. Yeah, that's, that is a great way to put that. Now, a lot of people wouldn't call their religious views emotional bias 
or confirmation bias. I would. <laughs> so would I, but try to get a, an evangelical Christian to, yeah. for a second, admit that Jesus might not exist. That's going to be a hard sell. Yeah. So I think another good way to look at sources is to ask if you had the same resources or the same information, could you get to the same conclusions as people who are giving you their conclusions? Yeah. This touches on the reproducibility that we were talking about earlier. Exa well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If anyone can reproduce it, then it probably is at least truth adjacent. Yeah, it's probably better than something that can't be reproduced. Yeah. So when somebody like Marjorie Taylor Greene starts talking about Jewish space lasers, you're like, what the fuck info did you use to start to start with that? <laughs> and if you didn't know Marjorie Taylor Greene was just an idiot, and she is, she's just fucking stupid. Yeah, remarkably stupid. And I don't want to belittle the average person or even her supporters. It's entirely possible the people who voted for her don't know how dumb she is. Maybe. It's possible. Likely the Republicans will primary her and get rid of her. But she is both a disadvantageous sufferer and legitimately stupid. And there's no way to use the information she has access to to get to the same conclusions that she has or the same conclusions she puts out there because she's just so wildly and willfully wrong. And on the flip side, we might look at a scientist. We mentioned Einstein earlier with his prediction about relativity and how the math of orbits and stuff works. Lots of other people were able to verify what he was saying. Or another group with reproducibility problems. Fucking Q, again. They start with nonsense Q drop things, and then they extract what they think is some value from it, and then they go do something unreasonable with it. Yeah, it's left incredibly vague so that any given person, like you can have a hundred people look at a Q drop and come up with a hundred different interpretations. Yeah, people look at Q drops and draw whatever conclusion they want from it. Yeah, you're exactly right. They get whatever they want from it. There's no reproducibility. There's nothing. Yeah. There's no actual information. It's, it's, it's no signal. It's all noise. And that's how a lot of people treat their holy books. And there's a lot of analogies between Q drops and holy books. And we talk about religion a little bit in episode 18, the big flood of nonsense. And specifically, I cited the Ark Encounter, right? We talked about Noah's flood and we reached out to our source, the rock doctor, a geophysicist. Mm -hmm. And we asked him again, some mind numbing questions about whether or not there could have been a worldwide flood. And he gave us some answers. And Answers in Genesis is putting forward information like, no, there were vegetation mats. And then they'd cite their holy book. And then we're like, hey, rock doctor, were there any of these things? He's like, no. <laughs> Pretty direct. Yeah, they're just making stuff up because th those things have to exist for their story to fit, but their story doesn't match with any evidence at all. So where do you go with that? Denial. What about good sources? What are some things good sources do instead of... Because we're, we're just dumping and saying, here's, here's things bad sources do. I, for a lot of these things, it is just the opposite of what the bad sources do. <laughs> <laughs> like if, yeah, you want good sources that can... Uh, they actually have reproducibility in their claims. They don't make nebulous claims. They make specific targeted claims. They make systemic changes to fix errors in their reporting. I mean, yeah, a lot of it comes down to do the opposite of all the things we've described so far. Okay, so specific and targeted. I'm going to pick another YouTube channel. Legal Eagle. Okay. Doesn't do a lot of talking about physics. No. I know it sounds childish and dumb, and maybe this guy isn't right on everything law, but as near as I can tell, he's never been called out as being wrong on law, and he's just a lawyer who talks about law, and his credentials are easy to verify. I'll link to Wikipedia, and he brings up interesting historical cases and explains why you can't set booby traps that fire off shotguns, because sometimes you know, innocent people get hurt. He's very careful to claim or he's very careful to say when he's interpreting something versus when there's an actual case 
that sets precedent for something. So he establishes the appropriate context for a lot of his claims pretty much all the time. And that makes it really, really difficult to call him out on anything. Not because, like, he's being dodgy, but because he's defining the bounds of the knowledge as he's sharing it. Yeah, it's like, if you don't know what the exact number is, and you say, I think the number's in this range, and here's why I can't know what the right answer is, then you're more likely to be accurate. Uh, Last episode, we talked about precision versus accuracy. You can be super precise, but if your number's wrong, it it doesn't help anything. Mm -hmm. So if you instead provide a range, you can do better. And even on that, we've gotten some better numbers on Ukraine and uh, Russian losses in the war. Well, we have more numbers, but yeah. Well, did you hear about the uh, Russian news outlet that published a number and then retracted it? Yes. So I'm going to link to Forbes for that, but they put out a number that was approximately 10,000 deaths, which is square in the middle of the U.S. estimate, because the U.S. not having a, a direct or any direct skin in this fight, we put out an estimate of 7,000 to 15,000 Russian troops have been uh, uh, killed in action. And Ukraine is saying 15,000, and they've killed five generals. Five generals would be impressive and devastating to the Russian war effort. But the Ukrainian government has a motive to lie. They want to tell you the wrong thing, and they're not giving you a range. They're saying, here's the most extreme that's favorable for us. And as of the time of recording, the official Russian number is still something like the 500 number you said last episode. Yeah. And look, there's accuracy versus precision. I'm not putting the exact number. 500 something. Right? A range of 100. It's in there somewhere, maybe. Watch as it's 400 or 600. I'm just wrong. Now, I'm pretty sure the number is 498. Not 100% sure, but pretty sure. Oh, that sounds right. So yeah, about 500. And that's just way too low to be plausible. Right? We've se- I've, I've probably seen 500 bombed out tanks. Yeah. There's no way it's only 500 dead Russians. Yeah, everyone knows better than that. Well, like, even at the time that it was published. Because like, people making the claim now, they could be like, well, yeah, sure, that, that's an old number because they said that a while ago. Like, no, even at the time that that number was released, it was obviously incorrect. So something that's really good for government numbers. I like going to non-biased government aggregators. That And you know they're non-biased because they just don't care. Or they're tasked with fixing a problem that's known to exist. Like the CDC, the day before the pandemic got big. Yeah. Right? If, if, you, if we go back to before Trump, 2015, right? Where there's no, Trump isn't in the picture yet. Republicans didn't have anything bad to say about the CDC. They just didn't have anything to say about the CDC. They just didn't care. The CDC was a boring place to go for numbers on how often people got sick. Yeah. And it wasn't until it became politicized that people started distrusting it. And the same thing right now with the Bureau of Justice Statistics, which we used all over episode five. Yeah. I'll go ahead and link to that and link to our episode five. But we took a ton of information from them, and they're still not politicized. And they're just a boring group that just gathers number from, numbers from a bunch of different police sources. And yeah, there's problems with police uh, with police officers and their reporting, but that lets us still build a range. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're over-reporting or under-reporting certain kinds of crime, but they're not going to be off by a factor of 10. And where they are off, we can adjust and compensate for that. Yeah. you have any deeper wisdom or points on that? That does touch on a little bit of a one way you you can try to deduce the quality of information or the messaging that might be contained within a particular piece of information that's being shared is if you understand who owns that message. Like you might see some publication and think like, okay, well, they, they seem to be on the level, but then you realize it's actually owned by someone else. Okay, for example, climate change studies. Mm. There's There are a non-zero amount of climate change studies that says that climate change is not man-made and the claims made 
that that say they it is are bogus. Those studies do exist. And they're all and almost all of them are funded by an oil company. Yes. So follow the money and that can give you context for the information, but the government like okay, yeah, sure. Government's reporting this. Follow the money. The taxpayers uh. Yeah, and that's why so many conspiracy theories try to put other weird, sinister motives onto governments. That's why so many people are trying to say that Fauci is secretly running a child porn ring or smuggling fetuses or smuggling chemicals into the vaccines or that he was paid off to say the vaccine was safe. And just none of that makes sense. Or even with the Fauci moron comment where he called that one congressman a moron on camera, on tape. Mm -hmm. That guy was like, are you going to show us the money trail? And when you look at it, the money trail is Fauci gets paid by the government to do his job. Yeah. That's it. Full stop. I'm not going to say every single tax dollar is accounted for, but like we can follow the money uh, for these things. Actually, for a lot of government organizations, almost every single dollar is accounted for. I'm thinking mostly of the Pentagon. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. When you get to defense. Yeah. The classified money is tracked classified but yeah. uh, outside of that for things for like the, the cdc and just other health stuff or the the bureau of justice statistics for these things you can reliably follow the money trail so when i worked for north of grumman and this is nothing related to anything classified but when i worked there there were contract line items when north of grumman would sign a contract with the government it was agreed oh you'll build a weather system that does x y and z and the weather system will move data to uh, the mission planning zone and, and just all these this big list of you know, a couple hundred or a couple thousand items and every single time we wrote software we had to specifically say which one of these line items it attached to and the way it worked was the project managers broke these these things down into in, into groups and different dev teams would figure out how or different software development teams would figure out how to build software features out of this as we were changing the code the text we type in to make software go we had software where we stored all of our changes and every single change we made had to get one of these line items attached to it and you could track the money into the contract and every single contract requirement back to an action and you can check on a per day per hour basis what every single software developer including me was doing for that time and that goes through all of our documentation and it went through our testing and deployment system and it was all over the place and that was for a contract that was worth some millions of dollars i don't remember it was like four or five million dollars per year or something but that's so much better than you see at any company, any publication, any university. It was mm-hmm. ridiculous. Yeah, almost every dollar was accounted for, except when it went into classified. But then that same thing happened on the classified side. But instead of it being available for every taxpayer to see, it went to some classified group that would eventually go up to the congressional... Yeah, it has its own oversight. It's yeah. just not public. So yeah. me, for example, I-, I wouldn't be able to verify it. Yeah, you would just see that, oh, you know, $2 million are classified, $2 million dollars republic or whatever the numbers really are yeah but yeah that's yeah you'd be able to track a whole bunch of the money publicly uh, why did you go to tr- why did you go to tracking the money you went straight from like climate change it's probably the golden example okay because if somebody who has a particular agenda is funding the release of particular information that colors the information being shared I know that you were working from personal experience with the whole climate change, big oil study thing, but yeah, I've got a peer-reviewed paper published in PLOS, a source we've used before, uh, and it's being summarized by commondreams.org, and they're describing how 
uh, studies and claims made by Big Oil with regards Big Oil, so BP, Chevron, Exxon, right? How their claims uh, don't match up with reality. I'll go and link to that as one example of a bullshit oil source. Okay. What about groups with different motives? What if they're just there to sell advertising? What kinds of misinformation or what kinds of bullshit can we expect to see there? Alex Jones. Wow. I was trying to softball it for you to get the next source out of the uh, the document, but holy shit, yeah, Alex Jones is uh, will say and do whatever. And then try to sell you a cure, maybe, sometimes. I'm trying to sell you something. They always sell you oh something, Oh my god, yes. the globalists are taking over the world, the government's going to collapse, you need to buy gold, and now on to our sponsors, gold. <laughs> well... Yeah, that or like I believe at one point in time he was trying to sell pre-made doomsday bags and then just in general it's like, oh, you need to to fight all of the the things that they put in chemtrails that make you stupider. So buy my brain fuel. Yeah, those are all things I've seen Alex Jones doing. Yeah. Oh, my God. I should link to Knowledge Fight. (laughs) They're a podcast that focuses just on Alex Jones and what the fuck Alex Jones is saying and doing right now. Because he does just lie constantly, and it is nakedly transparent how misleading he is. Just listen to a couple of Knowledge Fight episodes. They'll give you an, enough context about one of his episodes so you can listen to it, see what he's doing. Then they explain the fallacies and bullshit he's doing, unless they've already explained it a dozen times. But it's really fun to listen to. And you get some of the inside view of what these deep conspiracy theorists are doing, saying, and thinking. But I was more thinking when I tried to softball you into our next source was people with really misleading headlines because <laughs> uh, that's more common than the alex yeah. jones types well clickbait headlines are very common in order to encourage engagement and with more engagement you get more ad revenue and eventually you have so much seeking for engagement you have alex jones eventually with minimal or no content maximum engagement <laughs> regrettably yes Yeah, misleading headlines is a pretty common thing. Uh, Sensationalist headlines in particular. I mean, they they don't have to be all misleading. Sometimes you can get a truthful sensationalist headline, but those are very, very rare. But they love to ask questions like, War in Ukraine? Is nuclear war on the horizon? That's sensationalist. It is a reasonable concern, but yeah, that headline is not good. It's The headline is leading, yeah, and it preys on people's fears. If you want to talk realistically about the dangers of nuclear escalation during the Ukrainian conflict, or war, rather, then okay, fine. You can talk about that. There is a conversation to be had, but making it an open-ended question right in the headline, that's just going to scare people. Scary leads to clicks. The, yes. the sample bullshit headline I pulled out was, and I'm quoting, Was it wrong for scientists to create a pig-human hybrid embryo? And, they la- and then there's a picture of a pig-human hybrid that was actually a statue that's an art piece. I'll make sure to ask the video guy to put the picture in the YouTube video. And I'll make sure to link in the show notes, because this is startling. So they were misleading people into thinking that some kind of affront to biology had occurred, when really it was just art. Is that- well, the humans actually... I'm sorry, the humans. <laughs> I am the pig-human hybrid. <laughs> the scientists in question actually did make uh, a pig-human hybrid embryo. Okay. But it was like a clump of cells they killed after a few days. So they incinerated it on like day three. Okay. Not covering how it end- ended when there is a finality to it is... I mean, I'd say that it's also pretty deliberately sensationalist. Yeah, it was definitely deliberately sensationalist. And I think that was their point. They wanted to click on it. And they even said that that this was the case, like, in the first paragraph of the article. But looking at the headline and looking at the, the thumbnail image that shows up when you link to this kind of stuff, 
right? Yeah. You would just be totally tricked because what it looked like was a Petri dish with, with, with slime in the bottom. That's what it looked like. When you look at the the picture that's on your screen now, if you're on YouTube, or if you want to go to our sources, just disadvantage.com and look at the look at for look for episode 31, you'll see uh this pig human monster thing that an artist made to be as creepy as fuck. Yeah, that's did he succeed, Mako? It's a little unsettling, yes. The whole thing isn't appropriate for normal web pages because it shows like eight human boobs on a pig. It's Okay. Very weird. Okay. There's a bigger version. There's there's a statue of this. Sure. Well, we've kind of bounced around all over the place. A little bit. Didn't have as clean of a guideline for how we were going to do this as we do for other episodes. Yeah, we wanted to assemble a bunch of our thoughts that we've gathered over 30 episodes into one place to get these ideas, to help people debunk things. So hopefully this will be a good episode for someone who wants to start off with the podcast. And if they have specific interests, they can go listen to those things. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you want to end on something light? This is about the right length, right? This part of the butt plug? Yes. This is what a butt plug sounds like when you 3D print it. (laughs) My knuckles hurt. (laughs) Yeah. I want to discuss nothing but dumb shit, but in a smart way. (laughs) That's what the Anunnaki episode was. It really was. I liked it, right? We didn't have to talk about people lying about how many other people died. Yeah. It was really nice. I like it when we have a non-death episode. Okay, anyway, getting into this thing. Are we sure we want to get into the PP? <laughs> Are we sure we want to get into this? I Well, I mean, it's there, and we kind of, we don't have to, but we have to. Fucking do it. Going over the notes we have for the show... In preparation for all this, I understand you have a source claiming that apple juice has some, let's say, male-enhancing properties? Almost. Apple juice does not have male-enhancing properties. How is that almost? (laughs) Well, you just have the exact opposite. Oh, okay. But you had the view of a whole bunch of people for a hot minute. Mm Mm-hmm. So it started off as an inside joke with one group. We think PewDiePie's audience, PewDiePie, for people who don't know, PewDiePie's a YouTuber who's just full of shit, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and they like to use the slang pee-pee to talk about penises. Yep. His audience started making pee-pee memes, just like any group of people does. They make pictures, put text on it, make little short videos, put things on it. And somebody made a meme on Reddit that asked a porn star what her ideal penis size was. And she's like, hmm, eight and a half, nine inches? Then it shows a guy crying and typing into his phone how to make pee-pee bigger. And then Google did one of its little excerpt things, and it said, you can make your penis larger by drinking apple juice. Shows a guy chugging apple juice like his life fucking depends on it. If it actually did, there would be those people. So briefly, people for like in the middle of June last year, it just spiked. Tons of people were searching, does apple juice make pee-pee bigger? And people had to go debunk this because they start seeing it show up in Google searches. We're like, who is believing this? And a few people actually believe it and think it's happening. Right? It wasn't a big group and it's really easy to test. Right? You drink a bunch of apple juice and notice your dick is the same size. Fine. You just, yeah. You're good. You, you just don't need, you don't need to... Uh, to do any further research. <laughs> but why did people believe this? How did this, uh, how did this, who wrote this? So it turns out that there was a, there was a website that was satire, like The Onion, but shittier, called Empire News. And they had an article about making your dick bigger with apple juice. Okay. And one other group claimed this. And if you want, you can read our source. We have Snopes for this. But this other source where some guy claimed to be an expert on male enhancement, no credentials, just claims to be a source. So, yep. Yep. And he was talking about ways to make your dick bigger. And he mentioned apple juice too. So there was just enough here to get some traction. Not full-blown conspiracy, but enough to make people be dumb for a few minutes. Or hopeful for a few minutes. 
I guess. They're I guess. not mutually exclusive, honestly. You know, honestly, if if the outcome of a thing like this is, oops, I have a spare thing of apple juice, is that the end of the world? No, of course not. I mean... Clearly, this is all funded by Big Apple. <laughs> New York fund is funding the whole thing. Got it. We mean the other Big Apple, the one in Cupertino. Sorry, would you prefer the Apple Cabal? Yeah, so anyway... I don't have so anyway. I don't have anything. This is, is so it's so ridiculous, man. Uh, yeah, it's an internet meme that gained some traction. Few people acted on it because the costs are low and uh, apple juice sales spiked briefly. Yeah, it's about it. Yeah, as far as internet memes and I, I wouldn't even really call this a conspiracy, but if you want to call it that. No, but it was a bunch of people being wrong together at the same time, which is kind of funny. Yeah. I mean, it could have suckered me in for hot minute because you know, maybe I want to experiment. I'd be willing to test something that might make my penis larger. Gotta say PP. Gotta say, might make my PP larger. There you go. What would people have done if apple juice made it shrink? Panic. Uh, they just burned down apple orchards around the country. Warning, this show contains adult themes and language, including Dunning-Kruger's apple, it's the whole thing, apple, his computer. <laughs> Warning, that... No. Thanks to Keldar for video and graphics work. Thanks to AlphaWolf294 for transcription. Thanks to all of our Patreon supporters. Our supporters at the Evidence Investigator level or higher include Jared, Duct Tape, Keldar, Stephen Larrabee, and Kaiju Helena. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to like, subscribe, leave a review, or tell a friend. If you aren't sure where to do that, you can read the show notes, transcripts, and listen online at disevidentia.com. You can support us financially at patreon.com slash disevidentia. We have a subreddit you can chat with us at r slash disevidentia. You can tweet at us at disevidentia. You can chat with us on our Discord server or watch our videos on YouTube. Links in the show notes. You can email us at contact at disevidentia.com. Copyright 2022 Blacktop Studios, Inc. Intro music was Slow by Pidex, used with permission.